Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with our Kyle family. I uh, pray, Lord, that you would be glorified above all. Jesus, you would be glorified. Jesus, you said if you be lifted high, that you would draw all people to yourself. And that's what I'm asking for tonight, Jesus, that you would be magnified, you would be glorified, you would be lifted high, you alone who are worthy. Jesus, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. Uh, with the rest of our time here tonight, have your way in each of our hearts and each of our lives. Uh, help me to communicate your word. I pray that your word would be a, a seed that would just implant in each of our hearts and grow and bear a harvest of faith, the harvest of righteousness in each of us. God, shape us, mold us, do with our lives what you please, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Give us a sneak preview of where it was there. So sometimes movie studios will offer sneak previews to help promote a movie that they've got coming out, right? That they've got a movie coming out, and so to kind of create buzz, create excitement, they'll do like an early release, some sneak previews, you get to see it early kind of thing, right? Or, I mean, that's also the purpose of the trailers, to get you excited. They'll show you like a minute of it, or two minutes of it, or sometimes way too many minutes of it. Like, okay, that's enough. Uh, but they get you excited, right? Or sometimes they'll show you the whole movie a couple weeks early. They did this uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Thomas and I got a chance to see Shazam early. Uh, it comes out this weekend, but a couple weeks ago they had, had a sneak preview kind of thing to go and see it early. So people will get excited, get talking about it, that kind of thing. Um, we'll talk about it another time. Uh, so, so movies will do this sometimes, give you that sneak, that sneak preview, that little glimpse uh, to get you excited. Um, and so we talked about after our Kyle for cookout, some of us are going to go see Avengers Endgame. If uh, Marvel Studios called you up and said, hey, would you be willing to, to come see a sneak preview this weekend for Endgame? Go ahead and see it three weeks early. Uh, would you be like, nah, I'm good. I want to see it with everybody else, right? No. no. Man, so, so that idea of a sneak preview, right? Getting to see it a little early, right? Like some of, some of y'all, your parents let you open a Christmas present on Christmas Eve, right, a little earlier than everybody else. And it's like, I just want to peek. I just want to look. Uh, a sneak preview, a sneak peek. In the passage that we're looking at tonight, three of Jesus' disciples get a sneak preview as well. Peter and James and John get a sneak peek, a sneak preview. They've been traveling with Jesus for a while now, but they're going to get a peek into who he really is, his divine nature and what his purpose is on the earth. So tonight, as I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 1, Matthew 17 verse 1. Uh, just to give you a little context, what's been going on in the Gospel of Matthew leading up to this passage. So the disciples have been traveling with Jesus for some time now. They've seen him perform miracles. They've seen him teach profound lessons about the kingdom of God. They've seen the sick healed, right? Uh, they, they, they've seen demons cast out of people. They've seen the miraculous. Um, and they've seen huge crowds of people be fed with, with a little bitty lunch, right? They've seen all this. Um, they've seen profound teachings and, and parables, right, as they've been traveling uh, with the Lord. And, and so they're traveling from one region to another. And Jesus asked the disciples a question, who do people say that I am? You know, they, people have been buzzing about this new rabbi, right, this new teacher, this new Miracle worker? Is he, a, is he a prophet? Right? Is he is he just a really smart rabbi? What is going on with this guy Jesus? Right? And so, so people have been buzzing. There were different theories going on, and, and Jesus asked his own disciples, who, "Who do people say that I am?" And they, you know, they bounce back a couple of the, the the more popular theories, and then Jesus asked them, "Who do you say that I am?" And Peter says, 
you know, I think you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And of course, Peter was exactly right. Um, Jesus goes on after that revelation, which, which Jesus tells Peter, hey, it's not you that just had this idea. You know, God, the Holy Spirit revealed that to you. Um, and he was absolutely right. He then goes on to explain to them how he's going to have to die. He's going to have to suffer and die. And all that's part of God's plan too. And of course, the disciples are really confused at this point. They expected Jesus to come along and rise to power, overthrow the government, be the new king, and then they could be like the dukes, you know, sitting in his left and right. Um, and uh, he's like, man, Jesus, we expected you to step up, man, overthrow the Romans, right, overthrow the government. We expect you to run this thing. And now you're talking about suffering and dying, right? That's not the plan we signed up for. Uh, they're really confused. He said, but this is necessary. This is what's got to happen, right? This is part of God's plan, um, Jesus predicts his own death. He says he's going to be tortured and killed by the religious leaders. But then three days later, he would raise again. The disciples, of course, are really confused about all of this. And that's where we pick up the story. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared, began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as he spoke... A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified, fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. The disciples had seen some wild things at this point, right? But I have to think this was the wildest, right? Not, not all the disciples got to go. If you guys caught that, not, not all 12 of them got to go up on this mountain. Now, he'd had crowds of thousands of them already surrounding him at this point. They definitely didn't get to go. And even of Jesus' his, his close inner circle, his life group, his 12 guys, only three, right? The, that, that inner circle of Peter, James, and John were invited up on the mountain. Not everyone had the opportunity to experience this miraculous revelation. Just the inner circle, just Peter, James, and John. And we know that this had tremendous impact on them, right? Huge impact on them. Like I said, they'd seen some stuff, but nothing like this, right? Nothing like Jesus illuminated and shining like the sun. And then Moses is there, right? Who'd been dead for hundreds of years, right? Elijah's there, right? Who'd been disappeared for hundreds of years. They're just there and they're all talking, right? And then a huge cloud and then a voice from heaven. God speaks. They audibly hear God speak, right? Uh, completely terrified. I would be too. Um, nothing prepared them for this, right? Nothing prepared them for this. We know it had a huge impact on these men because... Uh, they, they both mention it. John mentions it in his gospel. Um, Peter mentions it, mentions it in one of his letters. We're going to look at that in a second. This story, which you know, in your Bible might have the, the heading, uh, the Transfiguration or the Mount of Transfiguration. That's kind of what we call it. Transfiguration, um, um, and just meaning transformed, uh, the, the same word um, 
metamorphosis, right? What, what do we think about when we think about metamorphosis? What are things that metamorphize? Butterfly. Yeah, we think about like a butterfly, like a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. Um, you know, right before their eyes, Jesus's you know, physical human body was transformed into a glorified body. They got like a sneak preview of, oh, this is who Jesus really is. This is the glorified Jesus, right? Uh, they, got, they got a glimpse of that. Uh, and it made a huge impact on them. So the, the story of the transfiguration we see that in its entirety in three of the four Gospels. And in the fourth Gospel, John, where we don't get it in its entirety, John still mentions it uh, right from the get-go. Like right when he starts his Gospel, he makes sure to mention it. It's uh, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Uh, we're we're going to kind of hop around here in chapter 1, starting with verse 1. John starts his gospel this way. Gospel just meaning good news, his good news about Jesus, his account of, of, of the life of Jesus. He says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later down in verse 14, that same Word, capital W Word, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God, and is closest in relationship with the Father, has made Him known. He said no one's... No one's seen God, right? You can't see God and live is what, what Scripture tells us. But we got to see Jesus. We got to see Jesus glorified, that revelation of Jesus. We got to see Him in all His glory, uh, the one who brings grace and truth, um, you know, the glory of the one and only Son. This made a huge impact on John. made a big impact on Peter as well. So Peter writes about it in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. Peter says this, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when, you to, when we told you about the coming of our Lord Christ in power, Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Peter wants to be clear, hey, I've been telling you guys about Jesus, I've been preaching about Jesus, starting churches, uh, leading the church, and I want you guys to know, we didn't just make up a wild story, right? We were eyewitnesses to this event uh, that, that changed us forever, transformed our lives forever. Uh, says, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Verse 17, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I loved and with him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him, where? On that sacred mountain. He says, man, I want to tell you guys, uh, I was up there, right, with James and James' brother John, uh, and it was wild, right? We got to see Jesus in all of his glory. We got to see Jesus uh, as he is now glorified in heaven, as, as he's going to return for us one day. We got to be eyewitnesses of that, and it, it changed our lives. Um, we got to see this, this Jesus, eyewitnesses to his majesty. We heard that voice. We heard the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, and we were there. We lived it. We were eyewitnesses to it. Jumping back to, to Matthew 17. Um, so again, not, not all the disciples got to experience this. This is a special, a special revelation, a sneak preview that, that, that just Peter, James, and John get to see it. Again, a sneak preview uh, of, of Jesus 
that after the resurrection, what he's going to be like totally glorified, right? The, the Jesus that's in heaven right now, completely uh, glorified and exalted. Jesus is he's going to be one day when he returns for us, right? And a sneak preview not only of, of the glorified Jesus, but also a glimpse into what man, life is going to be like for us in heaven as well. Do you guys know that in heaven your bodies will also be transformed? And it's a good thing too because this body is not built to last, right? If we're going to be in heaven for eternity, this body's not going to make it, right? Uh, but the Bible promises uh, glorified bodies for us as well, right? Bodies like Jesus' glorified body that's not going to wear out, right? That's not going to have arthritis. That's not going to have aches and pains and get brittle and old, right? A, a body that's going to be built for eternity is going to last uh, these guys get a sneak preview of that, right? When they, when they see Jesus glorified in this way. Um, they get a sneak preview of what heaven's going to be like. They're in the presence of Jesus in the cloud, right? And God, and God the Father's voice speaking out of the cloud, um, just enjoying God's presence. They get a sneak preview of all of that. Going back to Matthew 17, continuing in verse 2, it says, As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. So his face shone like the sun in his clothes, became as white as light. So they see Jesus glorified. Um, they see Jesus, uh, and again, again as, he is, as he is in heaven, as he is radiant. Um, when the Bible describes heaven, right, it describes heaven all kinds of different ways. One really interesting thing we learn about uh, heaven, right, after, after this, this world is done, after the judgment, when there's a new heaven, a new earth, we get a kind of a strange detail uh, about heaven in that um, in heaven, there's going to be no, no light bulbs, right? No candles, no sun, no stars, no need for them. It says God himself will be the light, right? And it's like, wow, God, you're going to be so bright. You're going to be so bright that we won't need any other light source, right? We won't need the, the, the flashlight on the back of our phones because we lost something down under the cupboard, right? We won't need any of that, right? Because God himself is going to be the light. And, and this is wild to me. It's like, well... Because all I know is the earthly context where we've got the sun, right? And we've got the stars. We've got those kind of things lighting it up. And, and, uh, and, and I was thinking, you know, why, why would we need God to be that, right? But, but think about eternity, right? Our lives are so short and so finite. It's hard to think about eternity. It's hard to think about trillions and trillions and trillions of years going by, right? Um, the, the star, the sun that the earth orbits won't last eternity, Right? It's going to last billions and billions and billions and billions of years, but eventually it's going to burn out, right? Eventually every star in the universe is going to run out of fuel, right, for, for its nuclear uh, processes that create energy and heat, right? Every single star is going to run out of fuel. It's going to burn out. It's going to collapse on itself. It's going to go dark, what the scientists call the heat death of the universe. The sun and the stars are not going to last forever, but God is going to last forever. So, again... The, the people writing the New Testament would have no idea about what stars and suns are made of, right? They, they still understood this concept that God himself is going to be our light because God lasts forever, lasts longer than the stars, right? Stars may, may go for billions and billions and billions and billions of years, but eventually they're going to burn out, not God, right? And for eternity, he's going to be our light. And, and so the disciples here, this inner circle, Peter, James, and John get a sneak preview of that. Just the light of God shining as bright as the sun. They see Jesus glorified. Uh, it says his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. I don't know, it doesn't say what color they were before. But in that moment they became white as light. Just from that, that, that light shining off from them. 
Okay, then, so that's wild enough, right? If just that had happened, that would have been like, whoa. Right, this rabbi we've been following around, our teacher, um, you know, our our best friend, the guy that's discipling us, is now shining like the sun on top of this mountain. Right, that would have been wild enough, but it keeps going. Verse three. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appear. Right, these guys have been gone for hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years. These guys have been gone. Uh, Moses uh, and passed away uh, as he, you know, this is the same Moses that led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and led them through the wilderness. God gave him the Ten Commandments and the law, right? Uh, and, and he led them up to the promised land and he died before entering the promised land. This is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, right? Moses just shows up, right? Okay, Moses is here. And then Elijah. Elijah came after, Mo- after Moses, but still way before Jesus, right? Still several hundred years before Jesus, uh, Elijah shows up. You guys know Elijah because Jackie preached uh, a series on Elijah um, uh, a couple months ago, right? So you guys know Elijah, right? The man that's just like us, right? But there was a mighty prophet of God. Uh, Elijah went around. He he did did miracles, right? He he, he preached to the people. He gave prophecies from the Lord. Uh, He he battled the prophets of Baal in like a sacrifice contest on the mountain. You guys remember that story? Uh, Elijah didn't die, right? He He's one of the people in the Bible that didn't die, right? God just takes Elijah. He says, no, nah, you know, don't, don't even worry about dying. Dying is painful anyway. He sends a, sends a chariot of fire, scoops him up, and Elijah's just gone. And Elisha, his protege, is just standing there like, wait, what? Right? So he's, he's one of the few, few people we see in the Bible who didn't die. But again, he's been gone for hundreds of years. Well, he's there. He's there, right? Moses is there. Elijah's there. Right? And, and they're just talking with Jesus. Um, in, in Mark and Luke's account, you know, it, say, it says they're, they're just kind of talking about what comes next. Right? So I'm, if I'm Peter, James, and John, I'm sitting there and, and Jesus is over here. And he's just talking. Talking with Moses. Talking with Elijah. Like it's no big deal. We're like, boys, what is happening? What is going on here? Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. So, okay. Jesus has dramatically revealed himself to his friends as the glorious son of God. What are Moses and Elijah doing here? Right? They've been gone for hundreds of years. What are they doing here? What is the significance? Because it's not an accident, right? It's not, it's not just a little thing thrown in there for... We see Moses and Elijah. There's significance there. What is that significance? Why are these guys here? Earlier in Matthew's gospel, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus proclaimed that his purpose, one of his purposes on earth, was to fulfill the law and the prophets. He said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. Right? He says, I've come to fulfill the law, to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament. They were prophesying about God sending a Savior, sending a Messiah. Well, they were prophesying about me, and I'm here to fulfill those prophecies. I'm here to fulfill the law, right? All the books of the law that were written of God's righteous standard for how people should live, that none of us can live, right, because of our, our sin. Jesus said, I'm here to fulfill that righteous standard. I'm here to keep every single law and live that perfect life. All the Old Testament laws and prophecies point to Jesus. In fact, man, your your whole Old Testament, as you're reading through the Old Testament, you're going to see thing after thing after thing that is arrows pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. The law represents God's righteous standard, again, that none of us could live up to because of our sin, right? Each and every single one of us is born with a sin nature that wants the opposite of what God wants for us, right? I mean, it's this nature that makes us prideful, makes us selfish, right? Makes us, if we see 
When God, God's got a rule about something, we want to literally do the opposite, and we do do the opposite. Um, that's God's righteous standard. And again, the Old Testament's full of prophecies that told us again and again that God would send a Messiah, a Savior, who would perfectly uphold that law in our place and save us from our sins to reconcile us to God. Right? Our, our sinfulness has separated each and every one of us from God. We're not able to have that closeness, that relationship with God that God wants for us to have. And it's the same separation that, that if that's not fixed, if that's not remedied, separates us from it forever from Him. Right? That when we die, if we've not been reconciled to Him, we're separated from Him forever and ever in hell. Uh, God loved you too much to leave you in that situation. Right? And so God, God had a plan from the very beginning, from the very beginning that the right time He was going to send His Son the Savior, the Messiah, right, to save people from their sins and reconcile them to God. So that, that's one reason, man, that Moses and Elijah are there, that some scholars think Moses and Elijah are here to symbolize the law and the prophets whose writing foreshadowed the coming of Christ. Moses, again, was that great lawgiver. Moses is the one that got the Ten Commandments, busted him. He got the Ten Commandments again, right? He wasn't clumsy like he was mad, right? He, 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 went, he went up and got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, uh, and he was up there for, for days and days and days. When he comes down, uh, the Israelites are worshiping an idol. He's like, God just delivered us, just delivered us from slavery in Egypt through these huge miracles, uh, and, and, and we're out in the wilderness now, and you're already, you, you've made like a cow out of some gold earrings, and you're, and you're worshiping that. He, he's so angry, man, smashed the Ten Commandments, I had to go make them again, right? So it's the same, the same Moses that got the Ten Commandments, that God gave the law, right, the law that, that you guys will read about, man, in, in, in Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, right? The, 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 this law that God gave for his, the way he wanted his people to live, uh, the way he wanted his people to conduct themselves, to be holy and pleasing to him. Moses is there, a lot of scholars think, to represent the law. And then Elijah, uh, there to represent uh, the, the prophets. You know, Elijah was a powerful prophetic voice um, to God's people, right? Elijah didn't write any of the books of prophecy that we have uh, you know, in, in the Old Testament. Um, but he still was a prophet, right? He still, he still was that prophetic voice. Uh, God worked miracles through him and, and gave him prophecies for the people. Um, so, so some commentators think that. You know, the, Moses and Elijah are there to represent the law and the prophets, which Jesus already said he's there to fulfill. And that was kind of the symbolic imagery there. Uh, other commentators think that Moses and Elijah are there representing two different kinds of believers. Two different kinds of believers. Um, those that have already died and those that are still alive. So like I said, sneak preview. Peter, James, and John are getting a sneak preview of what Jesus looks like completely glorified. What Jesus is going to look like when he returns someday, right, to, uh, to, 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 to set up his forever uh, rule here on earth. This is what the, the resurrected, the glorified Jesus looks like. Uh, when Jesus returns, he's returning for two kinds of believers. Dead ones and alive ones, right? Some of the believers already going to be dead when Jesus comes back. Some of them are already dead now, right? Lots of them. Um, and then some, some believers will still be alive when Jesus comes back. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. He promised he's going to return, and he says there's no way to know when, so don't try to figure out when, right? But I will return. I will return. Uh, some of us are like, Jesus has been a minute, right? It's been a few thousand years, or 2,000 years. If you're going to return, uh, it seems like you would have done it by now. Um, we already mentioned uh, Peter. Peter writes in his letter that don't think God's being slow, right? What we see as slowness is actually God's patience. He's being patient. 
giving every single human being a chance to repent because it's God's heart, it's God's will that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. So on my timetable, I'll be like, Jesus, you're going to go ahead and come back or what? He said, I'm being patient. I'm trying to make sure every single person has a chance to hear the gospel. Every people group has a chance to hear Jesus proclaimed so they can repent and turn to him. Um, but Jesus will return one day, Right? It may, be, it may be a year from now. It may be 10,000 years from now. It may be before the sermon's over. But Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to come back for two kinds of believers. Believers that are alive, right? And believers that are dead. And the New Testament says that the, uh, the dead believers are going to rise first, right? And the alive believers will rise as well. We're going to meet Jesus in the air and forever will we be with him. Praise the Lord. And so some commentators think that Moses died, right? He, he, he died. He was buried. Uh, Elijah didn't die, right? He had a, a miraculous, he got to go straight to heaven without dying, which sounds like the best deal you can get. Um, the, the maybe, because this is a sneak preview of the return of Jesus, the glorified Jesus, maybe these represent the two different kinds of, of, of righteous believers, the, the, the dead uh, and, and the still living that get to be reunited with the glorious, glorified Jesus. Uh, there's other parallels between Jesus and both Moses and Elijah as well. So it was on a mountain like this one, like I said, where Moses received the law, right? He, he, he received the law, received the Old Testament, and the, or sorry, received the uh, Ten Commandments and the law on, on top of Mount Sinai, right? With the, with the thick cloud, right? And, and, and the, 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 the Israelites down on, on the ground terrified. Um, it was on a mountain like this one where God used Elijah to display his glory and defeat the prophets of Baal. Jackie preached on it a couple months ago, right? It was on a mountain. Uh, where, where, where Elijah performed, uh, you know, he, he laid out his sacrifice and the prophets of Baal laid out their sacrifice and the prophets of Baal cried out all day long for Baal to send down fire and consume the sacrifice and he did not, right? And, and then Jesus, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Elijah, um, who's hanging out with Jesus here, uh, Elijah sets up his sacrifice and God answers instantly with fire, right? Um, it was on a mountain that this happened, right? It was also on a mountain where Elijah retreated when his life was threatened, when he was depressed, right? He ran to a mountain. He hid on a mountain. These mountaintop experiences were also places of extreme closeness with God. Man, can you imagine the intimacy with God Moses must have experienced, right? Forty days up on Mount Sinai in God's presence receiving the law. The closeness with God. The closeness with God's presence. Moses in Exodus 33 pleads with God for his presence. He says, man, your presence has to go with us, God. We can't even leave this place. If your presence is not going to go with us, we don't want to go anywhere. Right? I just got to have more of your presence. Um, and it, there in Exodus 33, man, you guys can study it later. It's a powerful passage. He asks God to show him his glory. He says, God, show me your glory. I just got to have more of you. I just got to see more of you. God, show me your glory. Again, we said no one can see God and live, right? That that's a... His heart was right. The request was good, but no one can see God and live. But, but God loved Moses and, and figured out a way to answer that request and placed Moses, it says, in the cleft of a rock. Cleft, like a big old crack and a big old boulder. Put Moses in there, right? He said, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pass by, and you can see the back of me. That's the best I can do, right? That's the best I can do so you don't instantly die. Right? That's the best I can do. Um, and I'm going to proclaim, I'm going to proclaim who I am as I walk by you. Um, and you're going to see, you're going to see my backside. And, and even that, even that was so amazing, right? That Moses comes down from the mountain glowing. 
right? They have to put a veil over Moses because he's literally glowing um, after, after that experience seeing God's glory. But he says, you can't see my face-to-face glory, right? You can't, can't look right at my face like I'm looking at Justin, right? Like I'm looking at Hope. You can't look, look right at my face because no one can see me in that way and live. But I like the request. I like your heart that you want to see me that way. And I'm going to answer your request, but not yet. Jesus comes, right? Jesus comes. Because God made flesh. We already read. The Word of God made flesh. Hebrews tells us that, that, that in Jesus, Jesus is the exact representation of God, the fullness of His being. Uh, that the, the Jesus, the Son of God, part of the Trinity, is God. And so Moses, and hanging out there on the Mount of Transfiguration, is to see the face of God in the face of Jesus. So thanks for being patient, Moses. I can finally answer your request. Right? You can see the face of God in Jesus. You can see my glory in Jesus. Well, he requested hundreds of years ago, in your Bible, hundreds of pages ago, in Exodus 33, God, let me see your glory. He gets to see, he gets to see God's glory in the face of Jesus. Elijah. Again, Elijah went to a mountain for comfort when he was depressed, when he was terrified, uh, when uh, the king and queen wanted him dead. He ran for his life. Uh, he hid. He was super scared. He needed comfort from God up on that mountain, depressed and afraid. God encourages him there. But here on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see our ultimate source of comfort is Christ. Our ultimate source of comfort is Jesus, right? That Jesus who said, I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. That Jesus has said, I'm never going to leave you, never going to forsake you, right? That you don't have to come to a mountain to find me. Uh, I'm going to be with you. In fact, I'm going to live in you and through you by my Holy Spirit, right? The ultimate source of comfort we have is Jesus. So these mountaintop experiences were places of extreme closeness to God. Finally, Moses also represents the old covenant. Uh, the old covenant that God gave through his law. So the old covenant, the old promise that God gave to his people. He said, if you follow this law, you will be my people and I'll be your God. Right? And there's all these blessings that come with the, with the old covenant of being God's people. Right? The old covenant was entered into uh, by, by obeying the law. Um, but Jesus is here transitioning us to a new covenant, a better covenant, that isn't entered into by keeping laws or rules. It's entered into by faith in Jesus, right? By faith in Jesus, by God's grace to us, right? Jesus doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. Uh, so Moses represents that old covenant uh, that came through the law, and Jesus represents that new covenant of grace through faith. And so there on the Mount of Transfiguration, that transition takes place, right? The old covenant passing away, the new covenant coming in Christ, right? The Christ who's going to suffer and die in his own blood is going to initiate that new covenant for us. Continuing on in verse 4. So that's probably why Moses and Elijah were there. That's probably the significance of that. Um, there's a lot to think about, a lot to unpack there. Uh, so, so, so they're up there. They see Jesus shining like the sun, bright and glorious and glorified. They see Elijah there. Okay, Moses is there. Wow. Uh, and, and, and these guys are talking. Peter, can you imagine being Peter in this situation? Uh, uh, um, Peter says, Lord, it is wonderful to be here. Like, this is the best. This is the best. Um, what can I do? What can I do? If you want, uh, I can make some shelters, make some tents. 
uh, you know, set up some some memorials. Uh, how many? I guess we need three. One for Jesus, right? One for Moses, one for Elijah. You can each have your own tent. I'll do that. Like you guys, you guys are talking about important things. Um, man, we could go get get some stuff, and we'll make some some tents, some tabernacles. Jesus doesn't even respond to this. He doesn't. He doesn't even acknowledge. It. He doesn't even answer at all. Um, Peter is absolutely overwhelmed here. And uh, when Mark and Luke describe the same scene in their Gospels, uh, they tell us that, G- that Peter blurted this out because he had no idea what to say. Right? He had no idea what to say, and, he, and it says he blurted this out. And, and that, that's the impression you get, right? That he's offering to build stuff right? <laughs> while they're up on the mountain. Uh, he's overwhelmed. He's terrified. He has no idea what to say. But I guess he's the type of personality that doesn't like that uncomfortableness and just feels like they have to say something. Some of you guys are like that. Like in the uncomfortable situation, you want to fill it with words. And some of you guys are content just to be silent. You guys don't have to point fingers and look at each other. Um, but we, Peter, Peter, Peter felt like he needed to say something. Yeah, Luke and Mark say he didn't know what to say. He just blurted out the first thing that came, came to his head, right? So he blurted out, I'm going to build, I'll build some houses for you guys. So that's what we'll do. We'll just hang out here forever and ever. It's wonderful that we're here. Um, have you guys ever been in a situation like that, blurting out the first thing that comes to your, out of your mouth because you're totally out of your depth, just totally overwhelmed? I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to do. Um, I love, love Peter's heart here, though. I love his heart, and he's absolutely right to say, Lord, it's wonderful to be here. God, it's great to be here. It's so, so good for us to be here. That's right. Man, they're in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of God. It's wonderful to be here. He's delighted to be in God's presence. And he just wants to stay there forever. Have you guys ever felt like that? Have you ever been in God's presence? Maybe, maybe in worship, maybe at church, maybe at Chi Alpha, maybe at a retreat, a camp, just in God's presence. Like, I don't ever want to leave. It's wonderful to be here. Can I just make my house here? I'm just going to stay here forever and ever and ever. Um, yeah, that experience is salt. Yeah, uh, to be in God's presence is so good, and, and and man, I hope I hope many of you have had that experience. And if you're not, I hope you do of, of being in God's presence and just saying, man, I could just be here forever. I want to just be here forever. Um, God's presence is so sweet. We just want to stay there. That's what Peter's doing here. He says, God, this is amazing. This is wonderful. Can we just kind of stay, like? I'll build the houses and we could just kind of live here. Uh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. So I, I love Peter's heart, right? Matt, uh, we don't see Jesus rebuke Peter. He doesn't, be quiet, Peter. I'm doing something important. No, we don't see that. Um, he, he, did, he, did, he did rebuke him the chapter before when he was talking about, uh, I need to be tortured and executed. And Peter's like, no, we can't, we can't let that happen. That can't happen. You know, he rebukes him there because he's like, no, it's part of the plan. He doesn't rebuke him here. I think Peter's got the right heart here. God, I just want to stay in your presence forever. I want to stay in your presence forever. If you guys have come to a place where, man, it's been a long time since I've had that kind of hunger for God's presence, where it's like, God, I just want to be with you forever. Forget everything else. I'm just going to quit my life and be with Jesus forever, right? Uh, it, it, it's, it's more important to me than, than any other relationship, than any hobby. I just got to be in your presence uh, an indefinite amount of time. That's what I want. Um, I, th- I think Peter's got the right heart there. Continue on in verse 5. It said, even as he spoke, even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell to the face down on the ground. 
So God's voice speaks clearly here and reveals the truth of Jesus. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another gifted teacher. He's not a miracle worker only. He's the Son of God, and we need to listen to Him and follow Him. I don't know what the audible voice of God sounded like in that moment, but the disciples were absolutely terrified and clapped to the ground. I imagine I would do the same. The wonderful mystery of Jesus has now been revealed to them. That's what it was, is a mystery. And who is this guy? Who is this guy that can work miracles? Who is this guy that stands up in the boat and says, peace be still, and whole storms just... Mm -hmm. Who is this man that the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this guy? That mystery of who is this guy has been revealed by God, right? By God's voice. The mystery of Jesus has been revealed that in Christ, God became like us so that we could become like God. That's the mystery. God became a human being so that we could become like God. God did for us what we could never ever do for ourselves through sin in Jesus. God became a human being to fulfill the law and uphold its righteous standard that was impossible for us to do on our own. God became a human being to fulfill His promise given over centuries that He would send a Savior to rescue people from their sins and reconcile them to Himself. That it's the mystery of Jesus was revealed to him. This is that Jesus. This is that Savior uh, that, that, that's come to save us and reconcile us to God. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus does. They don't stay on the mountain forever, even though Peter wanted to. And I would have I wanted to, too. They don't stay on the mountain forever. And they, they go back down, and exactly what Jesus predicted came to pass. Uh, the religious leaders uh, had him arrested, uh, put on trial, tortured, and then publicly executed. Right? Put to death in front of everybody. Uh, and buried, exactly as Jesus predicted. And also, exactly as Jesus predicted, three days later, he rose from the dead. Appeared to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses, uh, and spent time with them over the course of about 40 days, and then ascended to heaven with the promise that one day I'm coming back for you. Peter, James, and John, y'all got a sneak preview of what that's going to look like. But one day I'm coming back for all you guys. Uh, Jesus, again, fulfilling every prophecy, every prophecy. The reason Jesus had to die on the cross is our sin. Right? To pay the price for our sin, to pay our debt, uh, you know, so, that, so that our guilt could be washed away, we could be forgiven. Um, verse 7, we're going to conclude here. It says, Then Jesus came over and he touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. Peter, James, and John here were given a sneak preview, a sneak preview uh, of who Jesus really was and how he would one day be revealed to the entire world at his return. And it's also a sneak preview, like I said, of what our lives are going to be like when we're united with Christ and our bodies are glorified and made like his, right? When we've got bodies that don't wear out, that don't get sick, right? That don't have allergies. Man, I couldn't even breathe this morning when I woke up. The allergies were pollen was so bad. I was like, where's the Zyrtec? Because I felt like I had like plugs in my nose or something. It was so bad. Uh, no allergies in heaven, right? No sickness, no disease. Um, and we'll, we'll, have, we'll have glorified bodies as well that are going to be imperishable, uh, is what the New Testament says, imperishable. And, and so Peter, James, and John got a sneak preview of that. They also got a sneak preview of what it's going to be like in God's presence. They got a taste of it, but in heaven it's going to be like that forever and ever and ever and ever, for eternity. A taste of what heaven's going to be like when we can finally be with God in His presence without distractions, without all the clutter and mess of this world. We just get to be with Him forever and ever and ever. 
So I want to ask you guys, are we living right now in anticipation of God's presence? Do we long for God's presence? God's presence here on earth, again, in our, in our times of prayer, in our times of worship, and then also longing for heaven when we can be with him forever? Right? Are we living in that state of longing? Do we crave spending time with him? And like Peter, wish we could just be with him forever. Do we, do we have that same heart? Or, or have we a little bit uh, been bought into the uh, bought into the culture, bought into the world, been kind of deceived that there's other things that can satisfy, right? That there's other things that compete with that experience of being in God's presence. So there's other things that are worth our, our energy and our pursuit more, more so than God. Because, man, there's nothing that compare, compares to God. There's nothing you can chase after in this world that's going to satisfy like His presence can, right? You're not going to find it at the bottom of a bottle. You're not going to find it in a joint. You're not going to find it in a guy or a girl or in a pill, you're not going to find it in a hobby. You're not going to find it in success in a career, right? You're not going to find it by making more money than everybody else and having the biggest house and the biggest 401k and the nicest car. You're not going to find satisfaction in any of those things. Not like God's presence, right? So do we have hearts that, that like Peter's, are just longing for God's presence? Say, God, I just want to be with you forever. And Jesus loved these three men enough to invite them into this experience and reveal himself to him, them. He said, man, I love you guys enough that I, w- I don't want you to be in, in the dark a second longer. Man, come up on the mountain with me. Right? That you guys are starting to get it. The light bulb's starting to go off. Um, but I, w- I want you to see something. Come with me. Come, come with me. He did, the Bible said he didn't tell them what, what was going to happen. Right? He just, he, they just went up on the mountain with them. Uh, and again, had this amazing experience. He loved them enough that he wanted to reveal himself to them. I want to ask you guys, do you love the people around you enough to invite them into experiences where they can encounter God? Right? Do, you, do you love your friends, your family members, your classmates, your coworkers, the people God's placed in your sphere of influence? Do you love them enough to invite them into places where they can experience God's presence and they can come to know God? Do you love them enough so that they can encounter Jesus and do you love them enough to reveal Jesus to them, to tell them about the Jesus that saved you, that transformed your life, to share your own testimony, to share the gospel with them, right? It was love, I believe, that motivated Jesus. And do we love the people enough around us to reveal Jesus to them and invite them to experiences where they can experience God? Praise the Lord.